0: Hey friends, it's Mackenzie and Lindsay, and we are just popping in to ask you to do two small favors for us. First, if you are listening on Apple podcast, we would love if you would just pop over and leave a review and rate the show because that's a really great way for people to find us.
1: Yeah. People read those reviews. It's amazing. I know it. Uh, the second thing, if you're listening on Spotify, we made a Living Centered Starter Pack in the form of a Spotify playlist. So we took some topics and cold them out and then you can listen to them on that Spotify
0: playlist. So all you have to do is search on-site workshops and you'll find all the different podcast playlists that we have curated for you. So thanks so much, y'all and make sure you tell your friends about it. We just want to take the message of Living Centered and reach as many people as possible.
2: There is no one way to give a damn. You are you. Figure out who you are. Figure out what gets you going. What do you think about when you wake up in the morning? What do you think about right before you go to sleep? What is something that you would quit your job today to do and figure out how to do it while you still have that job. Or maybe you do need to blow up your career like I did. There's, a, there's just a million different ways to give a damn and a million different things to give a damn about. I think the good life is one that is chock full of giving a damn. You'll never regret helping others. You'll never regret loving other people. Welcome to the Living Centered Podcast, where we enter into honest conversations about pursuing a more centered life. Rediscovering, reclaiming, and rooting in to who we truly are. I'm your host, Miles Edcox.
0: I'm your host, Lindsay Nobles, and I'm your host, Mackenzie Boat. All right, y'all. I am so excited about this week's episode of the Living Centered Podcast. I think it's something that we all need, and I hope I'm not alone. But if you're like me, it's really hard to get through a week, let alone a day, without getting consumed by injustice and pain and turmoil and all the things that are just going wrong in the world. It makes your heart hurt, honestly. And if I'm really honest, I don't have to look far beyond my phone, my own front door, or in the mirror to come face to face with pain. Sometimes in that overwhelm, I can get apathetic, complacent, and just plain discouraged. Enter today's guest, Nick LaPara. Nick is a social impact consultant and the founder of Let's Give a Damn, a multifaceted organization that helps people live more meaningful lives. On the Let's Give a Damn podcast, Nick has interviewed over 200 people who are doing just that, giving a damn and pursuing a more meaningful life. Some of those people include Priyanka Chopra Jonas, Matthew McConaughey and Chelsea Clinton. I mean, y'all, he's got some incredible guests. Nick's bio says that he is a passionate storyteller who doesn't mince words or suggest band-aid fixes for life or death issues. And I honestly can't think of a better description for him as a human or for this episode. I think that as you'll find as you listen to this incredible, inspiring, and passionate episode, that Nick is doing just that. He is helping the world give a damn about the things that matter. So, meet our friend, Nick LaPara. We're so excited today to be here with Nick
1: LaPara. And it's so good to see you. And Nick, you live in New York, and so you're recording from New York today. Yes. Uh, You moved there...
2: Five, six months ago now. 's been wow. it's been a few months, and I'm more in love with this place than I've ever been in my life, and i hope I hope I never leave. We'll see mm-hmm. how that goes.
1: How was managing that transition during a, sort of a pandemic world? And it seems like right now is a time where a lot of people are moving away from New York, and I love that you have gone there and love the city
2: i yeah, I, I've always been quite the contrarian. I am one of twelve kids, and my dad will tell people right away if they ask where most of his gray hairs came from. They came from me. Unfortunately, <laughs> I'm, I'm a bit of. I'm where a, I'm are a you bit in the birth a, order? Yeah, I'm. I'm the second oldest. Okay. okay. Um, yep. And so I've always been quite a contrarian, always looking to sort of go against the flow, and that's got me into trouble at times. But so we were supposed to move a year before that. Mm. Our plan was to go in 2020 and, uh, you know, May. And in March, everything went wild. And so we decided to push it back a bit. Just, we it was, everything was so uncertain then. It, it, even our, our understanding of what to do to prevent this from happening, and all of that has evolved so much in the past, you know, 12, 14, 16 months. So we made a good decision to postpone that. It would have been, I mean, my friends that, are still here or spent time here during the pandemic with kids, it's just a whole different ball game. I mean, yeah. I know if you're single or if it's a couple or whatever, but with kids, there just wasn't much to I mean, it was just a, a deserted, you yeah. know, a deserted place. And so, yeah, the transition has been incredible. It's been hard, mm-hmm. it's been difficult, it's been amazing, and everything in between. I have a rock star partner, uh, Becky, and Everybody's been so amazing about it. And so we're just so thrilled to be in the greatest city in the world Mm -hmm. and trying to figure out how we ground ourselves and root ourselves here so that we can be here for the long term. And that is not a dig on anyone who left during the pandemic and and moved away permanently. Uh, It's a very hard place to live on a normal day, let alone in the middle of a pandemic.
1: And you mentioned you're from 12, 12 kids. You were born in New York.
2: So I was born in, in upstate New York, not, not the city, okay. Rochester, about five hours away. But even, you know, I, I, I know, I still know uh, many of my friends that I grew up with when I was a kid, we left, I left there early on, but you know, friends that I still keep in touch with. And it was always the dream, even being, you know, five hours Northwest of here, it was always the dream to like, New York yeah. was still the big mm-hmm. city and everybody wanted to be there.
1: Yeah. I love it. And you're parents are Guatemalan and you moved back to Guatemala for a part of your childhood I'd love to hear about that experience and sort of the back and forth and
2: Yeah yeah so my father was born in Guatemala and he was born during a almost 40 year civil war that happened here that ended in the late in late 1990s mm-hmm. And he, he and his family, he ran away from home when he was a kid to the U.S. He didn't want to be, there was a lot of factors involved, but one of them was he didn't want to be in war-torn Guatemala. And so he sort of forced my, my grandmother, said, I'm going to run away in Guatemala or you're going to buy me a ticket to the U.S. That was, those were the choices. And obviously she didn't want him to run away in war-torn Guatemala. And so she sent him to the U.S. So he ran away to the U.S. Then my grandfather found out. Came after my dad. They all came here, ended up loving it, and so eventually they, uh, you know, moved here full time, got citizenship, and and the rest is history. And when my dad was in his mid thirties, we were part of uh, a much uh, a very conservative Baptist fundamentalist denomination. Mm-hmm. That's a whole. There's hours of stories yeah. there. <laughs> um, but he decided to become a missionary. Okay. And so we we moved back to Guatemala when I was uh, nine or 10 years old and we lived there for 10 years in the city. Yep. Right. In Guatemala city. Yep. And and those were, you know, 10 to 20, very formidable years, you know, before you're 10, you're just kind of like coasting and figuring out who you are Mm -hmm. 10 to 20. It's what, you know, puberty and all the, you know, massive changes that happen physically, mentally, emotionally during those years. So formative. Yeah. So when I think about home, I still, even decades removed from living in Guatemala, I still think of home as Guatemala.
0: That's incredible.
1: I have gotten to travel there a couple times, and it's just such an amazing country, and the warmth of the people, and I always just walk away having visited Guatemala thinking like just how much I've learned and gained from just being in that culture, and so I'm sure that was such a, a great place to spend those for
2: we were there during the so while I lived there is when the Civil War ended. So it lasted from my father's childhood all the way up until we lived there. And so it was quite the time to grow up there because a war ended. and after though after that time, there were several years of uh, a difficult, a, a very different kind of difficulties that we had there. I mean, a war ends, and you think, "Oh, everything is super peaceful and great." We're actually now seeing what happens when a war ends poorly, right? Yeah. We're seeing that right. in, in, in in real time in Afghanistan, and how when things aren't done well, mm-hmm. that those same things happened when I was growing up. I mean, we had there was much more violence for the for the next several years after the war ended because there were, you know, in, in our case, there were hundreds of thousands of guerrillas that had spent their entire lives, you know, fighting against the government. Mm-hmm. They needed jobs. They needed to live. They needed to, to make it, to survive like all the rest of us were. And so it was, but but despite all of the violence and all the weirdness of growing up in, at that time, it was one of the top five most dangerous countries in the world.
0: Mm.
2: Yeah, it was still so beautiful. Like what, what was so much louder than all of that was the, the food and the culture and the people and how in the midst of difficulty in the midst of difficult living, people band together and they take care of each other. And you just learn, you kind of just learn to, you know, we, we used to do this thing where we would never go out without saying good, like really saying goodbye. You don't leave Mm. the house angry because there's a real chance that you could get kidnapped, that you could get caught in the middle of gunfire, that you could die. Right. So there was so much violence around that it actually brought you know, loved ones together. And you actually just like took care of each other a different way. It was, it was fun. I loved it.
0: Mm. There's so many things that that's making me think of. I want to, there's like, I'm like, which direction do I want to take this in? Because there's so much there, but I, I'd love to know how growing up in that type of environment, kind of in that like fight or flight community collectivism impacted kind of how you are today and the way that you pursue life, even moving back to the U S like, what did that look like?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, community is everything, Yeah. right? Like finding the people that you're gonna have their back and they're gonna have your back no matter what is the essence of not just surviving, but thriving in life. Mm. Like if you don't have those, people, and we see the effects of that, right? We, we all know, the three of us know people that don't have that community, yeah. and we can see how it physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually affects them. If you go out into the world and in in the world just being day-to-day stuff, family work, working out, whatever it is and you don't and you know you don't have that secure that safety net, that security of people that you can count on. it's I mean, it's just catastrophic in, in what it does to us. And so and not just that, but growing up, so not just being in a dangerous uh, sort of environment, but mm-hmm. also you know being one of 12 kids in a culture that we were gradually getting to know. We didn't know the language. We had to go out there. I mean, I learned, I've never taken one Spanish class. I can still speak it fluently. How did I do that? It was go out and play football, like go out and play Uh, soccer with the neighborhood kids, go out and meet people, go out and make mistakes. Uh, That's how I learned the language. Did your
0: parents speak Spanish in your home growing up? No. No, okay.
2: No, and that was a mistake um, that I'm trying to very poorly I'm trying to correct in my family because, you know, we obviously live in, an, in a mainly, yeah. you know, a, a city that speaks mainly English, even though everybody's here. Yeah. But th- I always regretted that. I always regretted that my dad, my mom still to this day, God bless her. She's amazing. You know, she's from the, you know, she's a, Italian-American, mm-hmm. grew, up in, grew up in Rochester, New York. So she still, I mean, does not know Spanish, y- you know, decades of being married to, uh, you know, a Guatemalan still doesn't because we just... And maybe that was a a survival mechanism, even in in and of itself where, you know, everything was new at that point. Maybe speaking English in the home was sort of a safe haven and maybe Mm -hmm. at some point there should have been a transition to, okay, we live in Guatemala, let's speak more Spanish. Cause some of my siblings still today, they lived there. You know, we spent 10 years in Guatemala, then five years in Honduras. I didn't go to Honduras Mm -hmm. with them. That's when I left home to start, you know, traveling the world myself. (laughs) and there are still some of my siblings that do that can't speak Spanish not even a little bit right and they lived there much longer than i did mm-hmm. and so yeah it's interesting my my we didn't speak it at home and i don't know at this point if you know what the what all the reasons are and i'm trying to correct that in our home right now with my kids uh, albeit very poorly i'm trying to do that
1: <laughs> yeah i mean i think that that just speaks some to i'm sure the Desire uh, for your parents to assimilate and try to make things easy to you because the white English speaking culture is so dominant, even in places outside of America, unfortunately, and that I'm sure that as you try to instill that in your kids life of like, how do you sort of help them celebrate their cultural identities, both the Italian American heritage and the Guatemalan one that 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 is, I think, for so many of us that are white, there's just such mm-hmm. an absence of yeah. understanding, like where we came from and what our true, what our identities are around that, and understanding our privilege and our origins, even.
2: Yeah, that's a, that's a very real thing. It's it's one of my. I have a um, I have a long list of uh, beefs with. Uh, <laughs> White white people in America, and I know that's a very broad term. And there's a lot, lot there that yeah. to unpack. But, but, but one of the things that is one of the things that I don't think we've done very well in this country, because there is this, I think it's a disease of American exceptionalism, mm. where we, where there, there are literally, I mean, if not more than tens of millions, maybe hundreds of millions of people that think that we are better than everybody else because we've excelled in certain areas and when you think that you're better than everybody else you forget what happened to get us here right mm. we so conveniently forget that we had to that we had to murder rape and pillage to get to where we are we forget the kinds of atrocities we had to commit mm-hmm. yeah there's a there's a big cost to get here good bad ugly and everything in between and we forget again if you think you're if you think your current iteration is the best iteration of you well, then you don't explore where you've come from, who you are. I mean, that's why we we so desperately need to, um, it's so foreign to me because I think in a place where that is a true melting pot yep. of the world, mm-hmm. we should be championing that. We should be championing who we are and where we've come from. And so, again, there's a lot to talk about there, but to go back to what you said, I I, I do, my parents, I, I give them tons of grace for raising 12 kids oh, in 12. a war-torn foreign country. And totally. what I'm trying to do with with our children, we're taking them, you know, next year, we're going to take a family trip to Italy and explore mm-hmm. our roots. And then either that same year or the next year after that, we're going to go to Guatemala and do the same thing. Because I, I mean, we eat foods that are, my daughter said the other day, we're, I mean, we love pasta so mm-hmm. much and we we would eat every night if we could and she was like i want to move to italy and i was like why and she was like so we can eat pasta every day and i was yep. like well, we can we can do that here <laughs> but i understand, i understand what you're saying you yeah. know i understand that that mindset and so we're trying to do that little by little with our children as well I
1: remember being in third grade and wanting to be Swiss so bad or like go to Switzerland just because I thought fondue sounded like the coolest thing ever. I'm
2: like, I get it. they
1: dip meat and bread into cheese and uh, chocolate. I'm in. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's all I needed to know. So I, I like her food orientation. And I do think that Thank like the people might wonder why we're talking about this. But like, I think there's such a parallel to our like personal health and our personal <laughs> growth. Because, like, so often we want to just, like, get over things and move forward. And there's such a desire to just skip look the process of looking back and really diving into, like, what needs to be reconciled and where did messages come from. But really the importance of doing that work, both for us individually and collectively, it is the way forward. You know, it mm-hmm. is where we find freedom from the things that are grabbing a hold of us and like we're dragging them along, you know?
2: So I have I have several uh you know really close Native American friends and they're not the only culture that does that, but they're they they've been here longer than any any of us have and I love how closely mm-hmm. tied they stay to past generations and how yeah. they build off of that. I mean it's I mean truly how they how they think about growing and expanding and evolving is you know it's it's mm-hmm. entirely based on where they've come from, right? So they have an intimate knowledge of who their grandparents, you know, 5 generations ago were and what their names were and and and, and how they further evolved the family so that it got to where it is today. That is so incredibly important for us to know. And we don't know those things. We don't know our history very well.
0: I'm interested to hear about um, kind of the move that you guys did to New York, moving from a less diverse place, I think, to a more diverse place. Like, what is the intentionality that you have in having these conversations with your kids and saying, because I think as a new parent, I'm like, how do we navigate this world that we're living in well? How do I acknowledge my own privilege while looking at, like, how we got here, what it looks like, um, and really honoring the full true story rather than what I would like to be the true story. So what does that look like for you and how do you talk about it with your kids?
2: There's so much there. The one thing I wanna say right away is that it takes a tremendous amount of intentionality. Yeah. I also, I also wanna add on to that, that you can live anywhere. You can live in the whitest zip code in the United States and mm-hmm. still teach yourself and your loved ones about history, about what's going on in the world, right? You don't have to place yourself in the middle of it all oh. for that to happen. It gets yeah. easier when you see these things every day, and you're—it's—it's—it's—it's in, it's, it's, it's inevitable that you're going to end up talking about a, a wide range of things with yourself, with your partner, with your kids, because they're right there in front of you. Mm-hmm. But it can happen anywhere. I was rebuked a couple of weeks ago, very kindly, uh, from Adrian Grenier, actor and and entrepreneur. We were doing a podcast together, and yeah. and I made a probably, you know, maybe a little bit of a snarky comment about because he moved. He he lived in New York City all his life, and then moved to Texas. Mm. Austin, Texas. And I get why a lot of people move to Austin specifically and not other places in Texas. But I tacos. made a comment about, yeah, yeah, that's right. Tacos <laughs> and, and music, I guess. And and so I made a comment and he you know, pushed back on that. And essentially the pushback was, there are good people everywhere. Mm. There are good people everywhere, no matter where you go, even in these less than diverse places, even in these places that seem uh, close-minded, there are really good people doing really good things. And he talked about his, you know, and I, and I even caught myself later on in the conversation, because we had talked about this, you know, this farm that he's growing and all these things that he's doing to get back in touch with the earth and with himself and, you know, just living very um, eco-minded and naturally. And I made the comment, you know your your city and your neighbors are very lucky to have mm. you. And then I caught myself and I was like, and you're lucky to have them. And he's mm. and you could tell that he was about to push back on me saying that until I added that, and you're lucky you're lucky to have them around you as well to teach you and to grow with you. And so, all that to say, you can be anywhere. But we did not feel that staying in Nashville, even where we were in a very diverse part of Nashville, we were in. We were in the nations and yeah. a very immigrant-heavy neighborhood. Even even there in Nashville, in my kids' school, they were a minority as very fair-skinned Latin uh, Italian kids. Mm-hmm. They were they were a minority. It was mostly Hispanic kids. There were you know they were uh, young girls wearing hijab, and it was a very diverse environment for them to be in but it was but N- Nashville never felt like home but we intentionally yeah. chose to move to you know an incredibly diverse uh neighborhood in Manhattan and we live in Harlem and there's just this incredibly rich history here of civil rights activism mm. of i mean so many amazing people that have influenced all 5 boroughs for good you know started out in Harlem and so every single day here in this neighborhood we get to have conversations with our kids on a variety of level from everything from you know cultures and food and politics and how people are living and you know it was like a week into moving here i got punched in the head on the way to the side on the way to the subway by this mentally unwell Mm. you know woman who was experiencing homelessness and so every day we get to experience things that we get to talk through Like, why is homelessness an issue? Like, there are Mm -hmm. so many, there are hundreds of thousands of vacant homes in this country. They could easily house every person experiencing homelessness. Why? And we get to talk through that with our kids. We get to talk through mental unhealth that's happening in our neighborhood. We get to talk through how dirty the streets are and what our role is in that and how we can make that better and why it's happening in the first place. And so we feel extremely convicted to sort of plop ourselves right in the middle of, the The mess and the craziness. Mm-hmm. but I, I will say, and I'll stop talking now, but I will say <laughs> that it's it's difficult, and it takes yeah. a ton of intentionality,
0: well, and I kind of um it affirms what I already thought is that what you are so passionate about in your personal and professional life really does bleed into your family because I and anyone that follows you or knows you, like your whole movement, Let's Give a damn is all about putting yourself in the middle of the messy middle and and actually giving a damn and doing something with it, right? Um, so I'd love to hear a little bit about Let's Give a Damn and why you started that and what that looks like for you in this part of your journey right now.
2: Yeah, thanks for asking. So Let's Give a Damn is really decades in the making. Uh, up until five years ago, my entire career had been in the nonprofit space and I loved slash hated those 15 <laughs> years I loved it because it really shaped and formed me and it was a it was a natural continuation of what I had seen done well and done poorly all throughout my childhood I was yeah. always around people who were helping other people in a variety of ways I saw it done really poorly as a young kid observing white missionaries I call them colonizers because mm. so many of them did not go over there with the intention of being a help, with the intention of being a learner and a student. They went over there to make mini versions of what they knew from back home. Mm. So I've seen it done really poorly yeah. and I saw it done really, really well. I will forever, and it, let me tell this story because it, it does go back to when I was a teenager. So I, I just shared how I saw it done so poorly, but then I met Susie Uh, and i won't give her last name she's very private and she's been doing just incredible work all of her life but susie is now in her 60s -hmm. susie has lived in guatemala for 40 years as a single and she would call herself a missionary but as a single woman that moved there to help she is not there to proselytize she is not not there to colonize she became one of them yeah and she has watched hundreds of people die under her watch that she has cared for and loved and taken care of. She has helped thousands and thousands and thousands of people with very real needs, food and water and clothing and a place to sleep and hugs and love. And me meeting Susie when I was 12, 13 years old, I believe was where my journey of learning how to become a damn giver started. Mm -hmm. And I used to go with her once a week to a terminal cancer wing of a children's hospital. Mm. And we used to just hang out with kids as they were dying. Yeah, That's all we did. We would read, we would play with them, we would hang out with them. And then one day we would show up and -and so-and-so was gone. And then we would do it again. And we'd go to funerals and we'd take care of their families and we would do it again that was a very transformative time of my life yeah so then you know I move on to a career in the nonprofit space and I learn all the the good the bad and the ugly again the ins and outs and I just got to a point in 2015 where I was just sick of begging borrowing and stealing for everything we needed yeah right I wanted to I I really still believed that my calling in life was to figure was to help people and to figure out how to help other people help people. Mm-hmm. Because I did have this gift of... I had already seen in many ways where I was... Whenever I would join something new, I would become the leader pretty quickly, mm-hmm. right? I was, yeah. I was the person. I had you know these natural leadership skills that were being developed and they were evolving. And I was loud and I was passionate. And so I would usually end up leading whatever it was we were doing. And so I yeah. wanted to figure out how to do this well. And I felt just very stuck in 2015. So... We did two things simultaneously. I blew up my career and we moved from Tacoma, Washington, where we were living at the at the time, just south of Seattle, one of the most magical little cities in the world. Hmm. And we moved to Nashville to be closer to family. So I moved to Nashville and also I have no more career and no job. We had, you know, $20,000 in the bank, three kids, and literally I didn't know what I was doing and we were moving to a new city. Yeah. And... I decided, okay, I I need, I want to start exploring what's next, but I I can't do it expensively. Yeah. And podcasting is cheap, right? Like we're doing it through these amazing tools right now, but you can also pick up your phone and hit record and boom, you've got a podcast an hour later, right? Exactly. And so I started, you know, just reaching out to friends and saying, I want to learn from you. I want to tell your story and I'm doing it under this new project called Let's Give a Damn. And that turned into something i still don't know what it is it's it's <laughs> constant it's constantly evolving but i was you know i felt very lucky early on to have friends offer to introduce me to their friends which is how i was able to have rain wilson on episode 10 of this no name podcast and that opened doors for other conversations and i've been trying to ever since we're now i think we just released episode 211 wow. uh today uh, with amazing, you know, author, poet, storyteller Joel Leon here in New York City, and and I've I've tried to explicitly, it's kind of funny because I've I've I've, in, I've been able to interview people that I know no one has ever heard about, and when I say no one, I mean outside of their circle, yeah. right? Yeah. And then I've interviewed people that are household names around the globe, and everybody in between, and it's been a very beautiful journey of just figuring out how to become a better storyteller, but also. Just getting these stories out there and telling people in hundreds of different ways at this point, there is no one way to give a damn. You are you. Figure out who you are. Figure out what gets you going. What do you think about when you wake up in the morning? What do you think about right before you go to sleep? What is something that you would quit your job today to do? and figure out how to do it while you still have that job or maybe you do need to blow up your career like i did or maybe like there's a there's just a million different ways to give a damn and a million different things to give a damn about i'm not trying to tell people how to live their lives i'm just trying to tell people that there is something better out there and that i think the good life is one that is chock full of giving a damn that you'll never regret helping others you'll never regret loving other people you'll never regret Going that extra mile, whatever the project, whatever the company, whatever the organization, whatever the nonprofit, whatever the moment is, you'll never regret that. I've never regretted one time reaching out to someone else, helping something move forward, stopping something that shouldn't be happening. I've never regretted that. I'm poorer because of it. I I'm tireder because of it. Yeah. Don't regret it one bit. So that's a little bit of, if, I'm sure you have more questions just to get into the nitty gritty, but that's just how it started when I was 13 and it's we're still figuring it out today. It's a weekly podcast. We're pitching a TV show right now. We're launching the nonprofit arm of Let's Give a Damn. I'm writing a book and I've got five or six other Let's Give a Damn arm offshoots that I'm working on. But I, at any given time during any given day, I'm just like, what the hell am I doing and why the hell am I doing it? But we're doing it one day at a time.
0: You're doing it, I love it. It's the holiday season. And as much as I love the holiday season, it's really chaotic and it can get stressful and overwhelming. And we were having conversations about this time of year with our team. And we thought, what if we all did 30 Days of Living Centered together?
1: Yeah, I don't know about y'all, but this fall just felt like everything sped back up and I have been hanging on for dear life. And so the idea of pausing and reflecting and taking a moment to start each day out with a daily rhythm and practice just seems really helpful. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to dive back into 30 Days of Living Centered. We want to create some community about it, and we hope that it helps support you through the chaos of the season.
0: And how cool would it be, I think, as I was thinking about it, if we all reach the new year and instead of starting to instill practices, we started the new year already having done 30 days of living centered and kind of have those rhythms and practices already in place. So instead of running into the new year exhausted and burnt out, what if we could go a little bit more centered and a little more grounded? I love that. All right, so head to 30 Days of Living Centered. You can find it at onsiteworkshops.com slash 30 days. And if you use the code podcast, you'll get it an additional 50% off.
1: One of our, what a therapist that works with us taught me this phrase, existential despair, and sort of talked about how there a lot of people get so stuck in a sense of hopelessness and overwhelm with all these things that are happening in the world that they sort of become immobilized and can't do anything. And so I love that you're doing it and that you're celebrating people that are doing it. And I think it that I would be curious about the commonality of the people that you talk to and what sort of what differentiates them in a way I guess it's the willingness to put yourself out there and to care about things even in the midst of life being hard and you know it maybe not being the most practical or whatever but I'd be curious what themes you've seen as you've talked to people and then even thinking about the population that's sort of operating in a sense of not giving a damn <laughs> you know
2: yeah so there there are so many themes and commonalities but l- let me begin by saying this. You said it just now. This is the key, is you just have to start doing it. Uh-huh. Th- this is this is how I framed it. I actually I gave a TEDx talk a few years ago. Uh-huh. And my original title, they nixed, they said just change it to something else. And so I I changed it. But what I wanted to say, and what I'm constantly trying to help people do, is I'm trying to help people stop giving a f- about the things that don't matter and start giving a damn about the things that do. Mm-hmm. So yeah. half half the reason that we are experiencing that existential despair and that those paralyzing moments, which happen every single day, is we care about way too many things that we shouldn't. Yeah. And there are so many things to give a damn about, and there are so many things going wrong I mean, I, almost on a daily basis, whenever I feel like I'm losing focus about why I'm doing it or why I'm spending so much time and energy and money building this thing that doesn't seem to be moving at the pace that I want it to. Yeah. Every time I feel that, I stop for a moment and think that, and this is true for, well, you guys, I mean, you may live in a more rural area, but I think it still applies. The idea still applies is that within a stone's throw of where you are right now, and when a st- within a stone store of where I am right now, a child is getting abused. Hmm. A spouse is getting hit. Someone is hungry and can't find food. Someone is thirsty and can't find food. Someone is being sexually abused. Someone is abusing the environment. And so when I start thinking about, man, but I don't stay there because that in and of itself is can yeah. be really difficult defeating and despairing. Totally. I, stay, I, I, I feel that. I, I feel that for a moment. And then before I get too down from it, I mm-hmm. say, this is why I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. This is why I need to keep moving. Because if all of us that were feeling the existential despair of yeah. what's happening around us didn't come out of that and start moving, nothing would get done. Nothing would get done. And so there's enough of us out, but some things are getting done. There is a lot happening in the world. There are good things happening. There are helpers everywhere. So what's happening? I have to remind myself that I'm not the only one doing it. It feels like that sometimes. Yeah. I have to remind myself that also within a stone's throw of here, there are dozens, hundreds, thousands of people giving a damn in little to massive ways. And that's what I'm trying to get people. So to go back to your question, Lindsay, the common theme that I see running through everybody that I have on. They're doing it in hundreds, if not thousands of different ways, but they are not staying in that dreadful, despairing place. Mm -hmm. They are moving forward. They are taking a step out of that and they are moving toward doing something, even if it's super tiny.
0: The differentiator seems like action, right?
2: Yeah, 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 it really is. And I, I wanna say this though, I think one thing that we have seen in the last few years as well is people taking, so this is a, this is the other side of the coin with action, which I'm full. I mean, I'm constantly telling people act, move, do, but I also want to couple that with don't haphazardly Mm. and irresponsibly do right. So we have entire movements today, whether it's in the, the criminal legal system, whether it is in climate crisis, whether, it doesn't matter. L- look at all these issues out there. We have so many people. They're not bad actors. They are doing it genuinely from the bottom of their heart. They are doing it because they think they're doing the right thing, right. but they are not moving the needle. They are not hmm. making things better. We also, it is incumbent upon us in this day and age where we have so many resources at our disposal. We have this these amazing resources The where we can learn and grow on YouTube and books and amazing podcasts like yours. We have all these places where we can get equipped. So many people are jumping the gun Mm. and they are moving forward to fix a problem in air quotes that they're just going to end up damaging whatever it is more. They're not helping. They might actually be hurting. And so alongside action, alongside act now, I'm saying don't fancy yourself an expert. If you're not, go learn. Go do the homework because the people that I know that have had the greatest, the greatest, uh, you know, effect on X, Y, or Z issue are those that did the homework. They mm. learned their shit and they moved forward in a responsible way, one that actually moved the needle. Because I'm not interested in just blowing smoke. I'm not interested in just talking about something, being a keyboard warrior, getting mm. on social media and talking about, you know, abolish the police and do this and do that and all these big ideas if I'm not gonna put actual work behind it. Mm -hmm. Work that actually makes a difference, not work that just sounds like something and smells like something, but isn't actually the thing. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, that's Absolutely.
0: I think when I think about that, I have the type of personality that I have is that I get really riled up, I get really excited, I get really angry, whatever, fill in the blank there. But I feel like I give a damn about too many things that I don't actually put my energy in the right place or somewhere that's productive or someone that's going to move the needle. I just sit there of like, there's a dumpster fire, right? Like there's a dumpster fire and I don't know what to do about it. And then you do feel that existential. So I think there's an encouragement one in what you're saying, but I do think there's a responsibility on the other end of that to educate myself and to do something rather than nothing. I think we always talk a lot about it's not all or nothing. It's all or something, and so what are the ways that I can start to partner with other people that are already making a difference and championing their efforts and then joining in with that? Because if not, then I just get stuck in anger and I lash out and I don't do much with that. So I think that was just really encouraging to hear you say that because I'm like, yes, I give a damn, but what do I do with that?
2: Yeah. That's super key. That is super important for all of us to keep in mind is that we, we are not saviors. Yeah. We cannot save anything or anyone. And everything that we do that will make a difference has to happen in community. Yeah. There are no lone rangers in this business of giving a damn. And so and, – and you are one person. You are one broken, trying-to-be-whole person with, yeah. with all these nuances and all of these, you know, all of these things happening in your life that are important. You taking care of yourself. I don't know the relationships your life, but, like, you – having all these people to take care of and these places to take yeah. care of, and you gotta show up to a job and you've gotta do well there and you've gotta make sure that, that works really well. What I'm trying to constantly remind people is, we can we can reverse most, if not all, of the effects that we're having on our climate right now. We can mm-hmm. I know it feels like we can't and I know that it feels super, I mean, just overwhelming some days, but when I say we can, that only happens if millions of us do our part, right, yeah. and not try to change everything or everyone's mind, we do our part. I I I I interviewed uh, uh, Robert Frank. He's a he's a now retired professor at at uh, Cornell, and he wrote this book on the power of positive peer mm. pressure <laughs> and how it's so easy to yell and scream and to try to convince the people around us to vote one way or the other to make these changes in their life it's so obvious can't you see that this is the way to go why aren't you changing your mind and we just scream and we yell and we nothing gets done yeah but if people see us make changes and do things and then they see positive things happening as a result of that things will change. We will move the needle. If you're the first person in your neighborhood to put up, you know, to put up solar panels on your roof, right? This is an experiment that was done. No flyers, no picketing, no signs in the yard. Our climate's going to shit. You got to change now. None of that. They just put the solar panels on their roof. Next Mm -hmm. year, two or three more houses on the street has solar panels on the roof. And within a decade, everybody in that street had solar panels on their roof because they saw that they saw the changes and the effects that it was happening, and not a word was spoken. I'm not saying don't speak words. We need to still mm-hmm. show up at the marches and at the rallies and we need to hold up. We need to do all that. My point is, Mackenzie, you are one person <laughs> with all sorts of things going on. Yeah. You are one person of seven and a half billion. Mm-hmm. What can you do? Yeah. Do that. Do it well and don't worry about another damn thing. Just don't do your stuff really well because which we haven't talked about yet and maybe we will I don't know. but like there's the other side of like if we're not taking care of ourselves in the long term, yeah if in fact if we're not if we're not yeah. firstly taking care of ourselves, we cannot properly give a damn about others in our immediate even in our immediate vicinity and the world at large. We can't do that well if we're not healthy. This is really fundamental to anybody that wants to give a damn. So mm-hmm. I, I put it in those three stages. It has to happen in order. It doesn't have to, but it won't work well if it doesn't, it doesn't you know, work out in its order. Number one is you give a damn about yourself. Mm-hmm. That's obvious what we're talking about there. Be healthy, get healthy, mental health, physical health, emotional health, spiritual health, all the health. Get healthy so that step two can take place, which is give a damn about each other. That's not everybody. That's not all the big problems in the world. Hmm. Those are the people that are in your immediate vicinity, your partner, your kids, your neighbors, your coworkers, the people that you're gonna see on a regular basis, the people that you know have your back and you have their back. Something happens in the middle of the night, they're calling you. That's step two. Because once you go on to step three, which is give a damn about others, that's primarily people and things which may or may not thank you, when you mm. give a damn about them right yeah. you're pouring into things that it's gonna it's it's generally a thankless job but you're okay with that because you did steps one and two in order correctly you know have a support system you know have people you're loving yourself and you have people around you that are loving you and you're loving them your cup is full as you just said mackenzie so mm-hmm. now you can go out and do the thankless work of giving a damn and it doesn't matter because you know you're making a difference, you're doing it well, and who cares if you ever get thanks back or ever feel that the what you're putting into it is reciprocated, it doesn't matter because you are now wholly healthy.
1: Hmm. That sort of leads into a question I was wondering, y'all both have kind of edged around this idea of anger. And I think activism does such a great job of sort of allowing people to express the anger of injustices in the world and sort of harness that to hopefully motivate them to act. But how do you like, sort of harness your anger and use it for good, but not let it eat you alive personally?
2: Well, let me start off by saying because I I don't want to present a false picture here today. Because (laughs) if anybody's listening and is hearing about me for the first time, and they go back, you know, If they look at my social media in the last couple days or they go back a few weeks, they're going to see things that sound and look and feel very angry, and they are. I'm I'm a recovering, outrageous, angry, not anger at individual people, not anger at, you know, I'm not an angry person. What angers me is when there is a solution sitting in front of us Mm -hmm. and we've seen atrocities committed and we don't change. What I get angry at is when we have the ability to change something and we don't so again i don't want to paint a false picture i am a i am <laughs> is there an aa for for you know people people that give a give a damn that want to become healthy in that because i'm sitting in the seats i'm not teaching the class right i'm still mm. reading the manual
1: Has it always been, has anger always been like something that was like easy for you to step into, or was it something you denied for a while and that then sort of found your voice and?
2: No, no, no. I've, I've historically been an angry person. Yeah. Um, I learned that from my father who is now a wonderful human being that is calm and that is kind, but he, he grew up, he, he was abused as a child Yeah. and, um, and he grew up in a very angry household and he became very angry. Yeah. And no one helped him in his journey, in his in his teens, and in his twenties. And then he got married and started having kids. And they decided to have a lot of kids. And then and then he was a part of he was a part of I, I I don't even want to call it Christian because it's it's not Christian at all. But he was a part of this Christian, very conservative movement that was all about how you look, right? It was yeah. all behavior oriented. Yeah. It was they didn't give a shit about. What you were thinking or feeling it was do you look the part yeah and so he just learned really well how to hide it and so at home there was a lot of physical emotional spiritual mental abuse happening mm. and i didn't handle that very well i learned how to take it i took it and what it did was just i mean there was a volcano erupting right thank god that none of that has happened in my family in terms of you know, with my partner and my kids, like that has not happened at all. There's been no physical abuse, anything like that. But one thing that I'm constantly working on is this thing, which you know, the the, the there's there's obviously many sources I could pull from that talk about the power of the tongue but I think about my upbringing and yeah. how the Bible talks about the, this life and death and the power of the tongue and that the, the tongue is of, it, it can be healing. It can literally bring someone life yeah. and it can also set things on fire. Mm. And I have historically been someone that has set things on fire with my tongue. And so I've been trying to, I've been, I've been very deeply affected by so many people in places and things over the last few years that have been really teaching me, but I have been very partial to stoic philosophy. Because I think the Stoics had so much right, and the, the four Stoic virtues, of course, being courage, temperance, justice, and wisdom, mm. and they were very justice-oriented, and they yeah. were very wise, and they were very courageous, and they were very temperate. In the mm-hmm. middle of all that, right? Mm-hmm. And there was there was there was a, a very much a withholding of giving into uh, the the animal side of ourselves where we just do whatever and we express ourselves however and I've just looked at my own life over yeah. the last few years I have been able to accomplish things despite my passion and my anger on certain issues but I know sometimes I sit back and I think man and I'm not one to look back I don't regret one moment of the last five years building four four years building let's give a damn but I do think, Man, could I have built this yeah. quicker, bigger, if people had seen someone who was about making a difference and giving a damn, and you know, equipping people and helping people, but did it in a more, you know, Mister Rogers type way, a more, you know, a more Dr. King way versus a Malcolm X way, right? To bring just sort of a little comparison <laughs> right. there, yeah, right? it like, takes
1: all kinds, though. Yeah.
2: Thank you for saying that, Lindsay. It does take mm-hmm. all kinds. And I do think that me learning in real time, out loud in front of people has yeah. helped a lot of people, yeah. right? They've they have told me that because they feel the way I feel about certain issues. They feel the way I feel about the way things are happening in the world and the things that we can change and must change. And they're seeing someone. I also just am an open book and I'm, I'm just out there and real with as many people as possible and in, in as many places as possible. And so- Yeah, it does take all 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 kinds of people. And I hope that I am moving toward becoming that more equally Mm -hmm. courageous, equally justice-oriented, but wisdom, temperance, you know, kind of I want more like 25, 25, 25, 25 of those things versus (laughs) just the (laughs) lack of temperance that sometimes squelches the other things, right? Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's cool to hear you process that. And thank you for being so vulnerable in how you shared. I think I like grew up in an environment where I had such a different relationship with anger. I was like taught it was not okay to be angry. And so I still um, have a hard time like sometimes harnessing my voice. And when I'm upset about things, I like stuff it in the way that I should. So I think that it's been helpful for me to do work about like really understanding the benefits of all of our emotions and that like learning that it's about awareness of like what's under stuff and like, where did this come from? And is my reaction proportional to like what I'm experiencing. And some of that work has been really helpful for me. So, and I feel
0: like people who lead out the way that you're leading out and the way that you're learning in real time and talking really about it, you're giving people permission. I think even just the title, let's give a damn, is giving people permission to lean into that anger. I think one of the best things, Lindsay, as you were talking, um, made me think of learning at onsite is learning that emotions aren't good or bad, they just are. And that there is a really beautiful side of anger that awakens you to just injustice, that awakens you to action. And it's what we do with that. What do we do with that anger? Do I choose to lean into the other things that you were talking about, temperance and courage and all of that? Or am I just sitting in my own dumpster fire and spewing out at people? Because there is a really beautiful side to anger the same way that there's a really beautiful side to fear or um, anxiety or the other emotions that I might feel or shame. And so I just, yeah, I just am really grateful for the way that you're leading out, um, that you are leaning into that anger and that you are saying, hey, I'm upset about this and it matters. I think it gives validity and it says like this matters and whatever you're giving a damn about, you're giving it that that weight Um, because, yeah, I don't. I don't always feel that permission. I feel like, okay, let me get smaller. Let me make myself smaller to tackle this thing that's actually way bigger than me. And I think we have to kind of meet it with
2: that same energy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I love that.
0: Is
1: there a good resource if people want to learn more about that stoic philosophy? I know I'm like curious about learning more about that. Yeah. I, I'm not familiar with it.
2: Yes. So, um, oh, there's so much there. Well, I, here, here's here's what I would do. The Kind of the, the I think one of the greatest living Stoic philosophers is Ryan Holiday. Um, okay. I love slash hate Ryan Holiday because he is about my age, and he is loads smarter than me. And he's just an incredible young man. That's I mean, he's had an incredible career, and he's written uh, several books on Stoic philosophy. He also runs an incredible website called The Daily Stoic, and mm. there's a there's a there's an actual daily uh, there's daily emails that come to your inbox there is uh, a daily podcast, which is short meditations. And then there's like a, once a week they do a longer, kind of a conversation like this uh, on the podcast. So it's shorter ones and then a long one. I, 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 I think everybody should adhere to the Stoic way of living. Because yeah. it truly, now the Stoics, there's a lot of messiness in the Stoic way of philosophy. Like any philosophy, like any way of living, it can go awry and it can, it can, it can advertently or inadvertently teach things that they may or may not want to be teaching and people can take it wrong. And, you know, there's always things that you can criticize in any way of living, any philosophy. But I love the way that it just truly centers mm. me. It centers me and it gives me. Phys, almost, it feels like sometimes physical things that I can hold onto yeah. because because courage, temperance, justice, wisdom—things that I'm doing every single day fit in those buckets—and I almost feel, you know, physically helped every single day. But I definitely feel mentally and emotionally helped by adhering, so you know, some days more than others to you know Stoic philosophy. And I and I'll, I'll I want to finish that answer with this: one of the greatest, you know, Stoic ideas is Memento Mori. I don't know if you've heard of Memento Mori. Uh And it's this idea, I included this as kind of the the pinnacle of my TEDx talk on minimalism, was this this talking about this idea of Memento Mori. And it's essentially means remember you will die. Mm. That's Latin for remember you will die. So, I'm constantly in the podcast, on social media, in you know, consulting, coaching conversations. I'm always talking about death and how I think we should think about death every single day. Yeah. and the the background of Memento Mori is these Roman, you know generals would come home from battle. They would come home victorious because the Romans were always kicking ass, right? And they were coming home from battle, and there's always these parades, right? And they'd be these generals would be going down the street and everybody's praising them for the battle they just won. And they would have servants whispering in their ear while they're being lauded with all this praise, they would have servants whispering in their ear, memento mori, memento Mm. mori, remember you will die, remember you will die, remember death is coming. So if we think about death every single day, not in this like morose kind of way, but kind of, but if we're just thinking about death in this, it could happen in the next five minutes. Like it could happen so quickly for a thousand different reasons, or we have 60 more years, who knows? Yeah. And because, because it's, this is a who knows situation, every single day we live it super intentionally, every single day we try to live out, no matter what our, if we have a faith adherence or, what, or whatever our worldview is equipped by and supported by, we live out that worldview to the best of our abilities because we might have 60 years or we might have 60 seconds. Who the hell knows you're going to die someday. So live well, live mm. the good life, live a meaningful life.
1: I love how that circles back to like the first story you told about growing up on the streets of Guatemala City and like that that was so present and how you yeah. engaged as a family was knowing that you could die. And so that you said goodbye like you meant it. Yeah. And, and so that's really cool to see how
0: that is still such a resonant message. Mm mm-hmm. Thanks so much for sharing with us and thanks for giving us your time today. I just am really encouraged by the way that you're living your life. And I loved earlier that you were saying we have to give a damn about ourselves before we give a damn about other people and other things. And so thanks for just reminding us today that we can't pour from an empty cup. And thanks for telling us how you fill yours back up. Of course. We appreciate you.
2: Yeah, this was super fun.
0: Yeah, thanks so much.
1: It was so fun to catch up.
2: Thank you for listening today and for committing valuable time to share space with these powerful stories. Make sure you hit subscribe to get all of our inspiring conversations with these incredible people delivered directly to you. And if you found this conversation particularly impactful, consider supporting the show by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen.